This is a Soulfire production. Welcome to my channel. I'm your host, Christina. I'm an intuitive channel, 7D healer, business mentor, and manifestation expert. On this podcast, we discuss how to tap into your intuitive gifts, manifest the life you want, create a kick-ass business in flow, and take a holistic approach to health and wellness. Don't forget to connect with me on Instagram at ChristinaTheChannel and on my website, ChristinaTheChannel.com. Today's podcast is one you will definitely want to share. Trust me. Today I'm chatting with Vanessa Marin, who is a licensed psychotherapist who specializes in sex therapy. Vanessa has been doing this for a long time. She's been featured in over a thousand major publications like the Oprah Magazine, Refinery29, Real Simple. She writes for the New York Times, Allure, and Lifehacker. And she has coached so many people to help them improve their sex lives. And that is what we are talking all about on today's show. We're talking all about how to have a better sex life, how to have better orgasms, how to figure out what your sex personality type is. So much good stuff is in this episode. You can also head to her website, vmtherapy.com. She has a ton of great content there, a ton of blog posts, her different courses, including finishing school which teaches you how to orgasm and definitely check out her YouTube channel as well. This is such an important topic. When I was working as a nutritional therapy practitioner, a really common theme that came up with a lot of my clients who had hormonal imbalances, which I've talked about many times on the show, was that my clients who were struggling with amenorrhea or hormonal imbalances, high cortisol levels, often had never orgasmed before, had really no sex life. They were often afraid to explore that part of themselves. And then working as an energy healer, it's so, so common for me to come across women who are struggling with imbalances because their sacral chakra is out of balance. And this again correlates to the hormonal imbalances, reproductive issues, digestive symptoms as well. And then when it comes to opening up intuitively, one of the most powerful practices to really start opening up your intuition is to very much embrace your sexuality, have a sexual practice. Doing a lot of that sacral chakra work is is invaluable. And I tell my clients this all the time. It's an energy thing. If you want to make more money, you want to have more orgasms. So this content is very, very important. We covered so many great topics, how to have better orgasms, how to develop the skill of orgasming, all things masturbation, the truth about your G-spot, and so much more. And I love that Vanessa makes this information so approachable for people. You are going to love it. But before I hop into today's episode, I just want to remind you that the Uplevel membership is currently open for enrollment. This is the place to be if you want to be on our monthly Q&A calls where you can ask me any of your questions, our monthly manifestation activation calls where you can activate all of those manifestations. This is the place for you if you want to learn about all things opening up intuitively, how to manifest, brain rewiring, and get access to all of my exclusive channeled messages. Plus, you will have a community of like-minded women, our community forum. It is a very open space, a safe space, and that is where I spill all the tea, let me tell you. 
So if you want to sign up, head to christinathechannel.com slash membership, and you can find all the information right there. And if you want to join a healing circle, I recommend signing up for the December ones early. There are two healing circles per month. The November ones are full, but December does have open spaces. So you can either sign up for the 70 healing circle where I send everybody the Ahai 70 healing energy. And then I will share a channel message for the group at the end that is unique to that group. And there is also a different healing circle for intuitive guidance. So if you're looking for intuitive guidance, you can bring your questions to that circle and I will give you intuitive guidance directly. These are very small groups. They are very powerful and a really beautiful experience. So if you have wanted to work with me, I definitely recommend signing up for one of the circles. You can do that at christinathechannel.com slash services and just click the book now button under the healing circles section. I would love to see you there. They're so magical. Those are my updates for you. I'm sure you are so excited to listen to today's show. So enjoy this conversation with Vanessa Marin. This podcast is all about cutting through the BS and giving you my top recs. And do you know what industry has so much BS going on? Probiotics. There are so many probiotics out there. How do you choose? You choose carefully. My top recommendation is Just Thrive Probiotic. This is the probiotic that I personally use and the one that I recommend to my family, friends, and clients. Most probiotics do not survive the harsh gastric environment of the stomach, so they don't arrive 100% alive to the intestines. So they're not really a true probiotic because to be a true probiotic, the strains must arrive alive in the intestines. Otherwise, you're basically just ingesting dead bacteria. Just Thrive arrives 100% alive to the intestines so it can do its job, which includes eliminating pathogens and toxins while also producing compounds and nutrients that help us grow our good gut bacteria. It also supports our natural production of vitamin K2, methylated B vitamins, a full array of digestive enzymes, and more. Just Thrive is amazing for metabolic reconditioning. It helps to improve the production of short-chain fatty acids, which creates a measurable metabolic shift in the body. A higher production of short-chain fatty acids means less fat storage, higher fat burn, improved insulin sensitivity, improved satiety, and less gut and systemic inflammation. This is a must if you are looking for powerful immune support. With 80% of our immune system found in our gut, you will definitely want to have this probiotic in your routine to help to detect and attack any pathogens or toxins in the body and to suppress any unwanted immune responses like allergies and food sensitivities. Just Thrive has also been shown in clinical trials to start healing leaky gut in just 30 days. And if you don't already know, leaky gut is the root cause of most major chronic illnesses in the Western world, like heart disease, diabetes, cancer, autoimmune disease, dementia, and more. I would say 95% of clients I've ever seen have struggled with leaky gut. It can manifest in so many different ways from allergies to skin conditions, to weight gain, to being chronically sick really in any way. You always want to start from the root cause, which means focusing on gut health. So if you're ready to get yourself a real probiotic, then definitely check out Just Thrive. You can go to bit.ly slash Just Thrive Christina and use my code Christina for 15% off. Again, that's bit.ly 
slash just thrive Christina and use that code Christina, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A for 15% off. And if you have not noticed a difference before when you've used other probiotics, try this one out because it makes the world of a difference. Quality is everything and this is top quality. So I'm really excited for you to try it out. Vanessa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I am so excited to chat with you. And thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, we have so much to talk about. And my first question is, I'm curious how you became a sex therapist. Tell me the how. Yeah, it's not exactly the most conventional career, right? <laughs> so my journey actually was started when my parents tried to have their version of the talk with me. Um, so I remember being about 12 years old, I was trapped in the minivan with them and, uh, they tried to have the talk then it was very claustrophobic. And basically all they said was, you know, if you have any questions about sex, you can ask us. And it was very, you know, hush, hush. It was really obvious that they were very embarrassed. And I remember even being at such a young age, realizing like, okay, they're asking me if I have any questions, but what they're really saying is please do not ask us any questions. We don't want to talk about this. Um, and so I just remember being very struck in that moment of, you know, my relationship with my parents was always very close. We talked about a lot of stuff and I was very curious about sex at the time. And I did have a lot of questions that I wanted to ask. So it was just this feeling of like, why are my parents so embarrassed about this? Why can't we talk about it? Um, so I, I had no clue that being a sex therapist was a potential career opportunity for me at that point, but that moment just really, really stuck with me and made, I just kept coming back to it. Like, why can't we talk about sex? Why is it something that feels so embarrassing and shameful? And so now years and years and years later, um, that really still is the, the central element of my work is wanting to make it more comfortable to talk about sex, helping people realize it's a perfectly normal, natural part of all of our lives. And we really don't need to be so embarrassed to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, so true. I was just talking to somebody the other day and she, she was saying, don't you think it's weird how we watch people like kill each other on shows all the time and we don't bat an eye. But if you watch a sex scene with a friend or, or a parent, you like cringe and you're like, I can't do this. Yeah. That's <laughs> so, a really good point. <laughs> it's so messed up. And I was like, yeah, that is a really good point. You know, like, why do we cringe? And so I want to know more about like, did you ever try and go after another career or did you just always know you wanted to do this? I always knew I wanted to do it. I mean, you know, way back in the day, you know, I think I wanted to be a marine biologist for a while. <laughs> there was a period of time where I was very embarrassed to say that I wanted to be a sex therapist. So I was saying, I'm going to be an OBGYN for a while. And I thought like, I'll sort of address the, um, sexual issues more from like a medical perspective, but now really the, as long as I can remember, I knew I wanted to do this job. So it's, uh, took a, it was a long winding path. There's not really like a clear, this is what you do to be a sex therapist, but mm -hmm. it was definitely, it just has been with me for basically my entire life. <laughs> there you go. You're meant to do it. Well, I, I want you to explain more about what sex therapy is. I'm like exactly what kind of person comes, comes to you, you know, cause yeah. people don't understand. 
A lot of people have some big misconceptions about sex therapy. So the, at the most basic, sex therapy just helps you have a better sex life. And even identifying what does that even mean to you to have a great sex life? So it helps you, you know, resolve any sort of issues that might come up, explore your sexual self, figure out what your wants and needs are, learn how to communicate that with a partner. There's so many different avenues that we can explore, but basically anything that will help you have a happy and healthy sex life. And so a lot of people, it's kind of like general therapy in a sense, like a lot of people think sex therapy is only something you do if something's horribly wrong with you, like you're in a terrible relationship and you never have sex or, you know, you have some horrible fetishes that you need to get rid of. Like people have this, this view that we only need to go work on it if something's broken or not wrong or, or, or is wrong with us. Um, but the, for me, I really want to promote this view that sex therapy can work for anybody. It can benefit anybody because we all have our own hangups and insecurities and even just unknown aspects of our sexuality. So I like to be super transparent about, you know, I've been doing this career for decades. I help other people have healthier sex lives and I have hangups about my own sex life. I have moments that I get embarrassed, that I feel insecure, that I don't know how to ask for what I want. So, you know, we all have insecurities of some degree, um, to some degree or another. And I think it's just really great for us to be able to give ourselves the permission and the space to explore that because yeah. there's just, yeah, we have infinite capacity for pleasure and connection and enjoyment. So why not try to have more of that in your life, even if nothing is, you know, quote unquote broken right now? Yeah, totally. I think also people don't understand, people don't realize if it's broken or not, like they don't even know what's normal, what's not. Yeah, and yeah. I think especially for my audience listening, I've been really excited for this conversation because I, you know, I got into this work as a holistic nutritionist and I helped a lot of women who had missing periods, had a lot of like cycle irregularities, a lot with hormones. And then now I'm doing more business coaching and intuitive work. And for me, seeing one of the common denominators between all of that is doing a lot of like sacral chakra work. And one of the main things that I see blocking people energetically from all of those goals is they, they don't have orgasms. They don't have a sex life. They have no, they're not in touch with their sexuality. And I think a lot of people don't realize how much, I mean, that opens up everything for people in so many different ways, whether it's your health, your business, money, it unlocks so much besides just like wanting to feel good. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. Our sexuality is really tied into every aspect of our lives. Like I think a lot of us think of sex as just something that we like do in the bedroom and it's just sort of like sequestered to that one area of our lives. Um, but it really affects everything like your confidence, the way you walk through the world, your ability to receive, to ask for what you want, to communicate, to have connection with other people. Like it affects so many things. So by exploring our sexuality, we can affect so many different aspects of our lives, not just like having hotter sex, mm -hmm, Definitely, <laughs> which is a good enough benefit in and of itself. But it's also nice that you get <laughs> other benefits, too. Exactly. And I think a lot of I know <laughs> like 90 percent of my clients have trouble in this area when it comes up and they feel they're like, Oh no, I don't, I don't want to look there. I'm not interested. Well, I feel like if you're in, if you're resisting it, that's where you need to look. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know? um, For sure. But I want to kind of just dive in. One of the main issues that a lot of people in my audience have, it's mostly women and a lot of them can't orgasm. They've never had an orgasm. They, they feel like they just can't. So I want to hear from you. How do we remedy that? 
Yes. <laughs> this is one of my favorite topics to talk about. So I'm glad you want to go into it. So where I like to start first is just validating and acknowledging that it is perfectly normal to not have had an orgasm yet. So a lot of women really freak out about this and they feel like they must be the only woman in the world who has never figured it out. We feel very alone. We feel like there's something broken with you, horribly wrong with you. And so it's really important with, for me to start with the fact that orgasm is a skill. Orgasm is not something that we are born. We don't like come out of the womb knowing how to orgasm. Like it's a skill. And just like any other skill, like playing the guitar, learning how to speak Spanish, learning how to ski, like it takes time, patience, and practice to learn. And so really being able to wrap your head around that and realize like there's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken in any way. You're not going to be like one of those women who's never going to be able to orgasm because that group doesn't even exist. We can get into that. Um, But just being able to realize like you haven't been given the opportunity or the skills that you need to actually learn how to orgasm. So you know, most women will start like kind of Googling around and you'll find all these articles online that will just say things like, oh, you know, just relax. You have to stop thinking about it. Just let it happen. But that's not actual advice that helps you build a skill, right? Like we wouldn't say that about somebody who wants to learn how to ski, like just put on your skis and don't think about it. Like (laughs) you need actual steps to learn that skill. So that's what I'm all about is being able to create that, you know, those tangible, like actionable directions for women learning how to. So what are some of those actionable steps? Yeah. (laughs) So the next step that we have to get to is recognizing that it's really important to explore your orgasm on your own first. So a lot of women that I work with, if they've never had an orgasm, most women want to skip ahead to the like orgasming with a partner part. And I totally get that. Like, of course, we want to experience this with a partner. Um, But my experience has been that it is much, much easier and more fulfilling for you to learn how to orgasm on your own first. It's your body. You need to be tuned into like how it works and what it needs and what it responds to. And it's just so much easier to do that on your own than trying to do that with a partner and also having to deal with this like I feel self-conscious about my body and I don't know what to say to my partner and I don't want to hurt my partner's feelings. Like there are all these other dynamics that come up with a partner. So being able to explore your orgasm on your own first is the necessary step. And so that means masturbation, (laughs) which for most women, you know, most women are probably listening to this podcast right now. and like, oh no, I don't want to do that. (laughs) Um, Because we've been really socialized to believe that masturbation is a dirty word, that it's something that like good girls don't do. And we've also been very socialized to believe that our genitals are, you know, they're icky and they smell bad and they look weird. And, you know, there's all this shame and embarrassment around it. So it's like, oh, I don't want to touch this part of my body that I've been told my entire life is disgusting, basically. Um, So, you know, getting to a place where you can recognize that masturbation is totally normal, totally healthy. It's really important for all of us to be able to be in touch with our bodies and figure out what brings us pleasure. But yeah, for a lot of women, it's going to be that that next mental step of giving themselves permission to masturbate, realizing that it is normal, healthy, and wonderful. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's, that's a big block for sure for a lot yeah. of people. But then once they get past that, mm-hmm. you know, going back to how, like, you know, don't just relax. Isn't there some level of relaxing though? Because like, 
don't does your brain kind of need to be in a certain state for it to happen? <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good point. Your brain does need, you know, you do need to be relaxed. Like if you're really, you know, feeling super anxious and just holding on super tight to everything, it is going to be challenging to get there. But where I like to start is with like the practicalities of how to masturbate. Once you start figuring out some of those, you know, the actual skills behind it, you're naturally going to relax a bit. Mm -hmm. And so we can get to all the mental techniques later. But in my experience, I've found that it's best if I start with the physical techniques with women of like helping them realize, yeah, there are specific things that you can do. So Mm -hmm. for example, a great starting point for most women is you want to figure out if your body responds best to indirect or direct clitoral stimulation. So female orgasm, it's really all about the clitoris. And we can definitely get into, if you want to talk about like internal orgasms on all this stuff, because there's a lot of myths and misinformation around that. But female orgasm is really all about the clitoris. And especially if you've never had one before, you're going to really want to start with your clitoris. And so the clitoris is very, very sensitive. Just the little tip of the clitoris is packed with, you know, thousands and thousands of nerve endings way more, you know, two to three times as much as in the entire penis. So it's a very sensitive part of our body. It's also the only part of the human body of any gender that is only exists for the point purpose of pleasure, no other function, which is amazing. Um, and so because it says sensitive, women tend to be divided into two camps. Either you like direct stimulation, it's like skin to skin contact feels good for you, or you like more indirect. So that might be kind of circling around the clitoris, maybe touching yourself over your labia. So you're not making direct contact, even keeping your underwear or even pants on, like, you know, some, so there's some sort of fabric in between. Um, so that's a great first starting point to experiment with is try out, you know, a little bit, start with indirect stimulation, start getting a little bit closer and closer to the clitoris and see, you know, if, if you start to feel like, Ooh, that's way too much. Um, then you'll know you're more of an indirect kind of gal. <laughs> okay. There we go. I love that. Uh, I didn't know that about the number of nerves, like compared to a mm-hmm. penis. I, yeah. I always like joke. <laughs> Some people don't take this the the right way, but people are always like, oh, don't you, do you ever wish you were a guy? And I'm like, absolutely not. I love having a clitoris. Like, (laughs) it's way better. It's way better. (laughs) The clitoris has eight to 9,000 nerve endings in the clitoris and the penis has two to 3,000. So it's just, I mean, it's amazing. It's way better. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) Sorry, guys. Well, okay. So I wanted to ask you about this. I, uh, I never read, I never read magazines, but I was getting my hair done last weekend and my hairstylist gave me Cosmo, which I haven't read since I was like 17. (laughs) And I I read this whole article about how like the G spot isn't real. And they were saying like, it was apparently that whoever coined that term, she was saying they misinterpreted it. Like, it's not like there's one specific spot. It's just a Mm -hmm. general you know, women feel good in a certain area and figuring out where it is for you. So I, I wanted you to speak more to that. Um, cause I think most people assume that, you know, the G spot is a specific spot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, a, it's such a good, um, such a good question. So yeah, you're correct. The G spot is not a specific spot. A lot of women and a lot of men <laughs> think that it is. And, and we tend to think of it as like this magic button. Like, Oh, if I just like press it, a few yeah. times, you know, like instant orgasm. And I think the reason why we pay so much attention to the G spot is because people think that you hit the G spot through intercourse. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, 
like heterosexual women have really been taught to believe that we should feel the maximum amount of pleasure from intercourse. Like if it works for the man, it should work for us. But that is just not how our bodies work at all. (laughs) So if you'll let me like science geek out on you for a second, um, when we are little fetuses in the womb, we all start off as the same gender. So our the fetuses don't differentiate until like eight to 11 weeks. And so around that point, like the tissues that will make, you know, it's like the same tissues and they'll differentiate into either being, you know, female or male genitals. So it's kind of like you could take a ball of clay and you could sculpt it into a mug or you could sculpt it into a plate. So it's like the same ball of clay, but you're making different shapes out of it, right? So the clitoris is basically the equivalent of the head of the penis for a man. So it's, you know, those are the most sensitive parts of the, you know, male and female bodies, but we just don't give the clitoris that respect that we give the head of the, you know, the penis for men. Like we think the clitoris is always like, oh, it's so hard to find. And it's really mysterious. And female (laughs) orgasm is so hard, you know, like we give it seriously no respect, even though it's like the coolest (laughs) organ ever. And so the other really cool thing about the clitoris, if um, I have to show you, since we're here, I'll show you a little visual, but we'll have to maybe like post this on Instagram or something. Yeah, but, there we go. So this is the shape of the clitoris. <laughs> I love this. So I've got a 3D model. It's in, made of a, it's gold because I had to be fancy <laughs> about it. <laughs> Not like real gold, but just. I love um, this. So most people think of the clitoris as just like this little nub of skin that we can see, you know, with our, our eyes, but the clitoris is actually, it's um, a wishbone shape. It's quite large and it splits off into two legs, like, yeah, like a wishbone shape. And so these other parts of the clitoris, which are a very big part of it overall, you know, these parts of the clitoris are inside the body and they kind of wrap around the vaginal canal. So the G spot is not really a spot, but it's an area where the ends of the clitoris meet. So there is sensitivity there because it's still the clitoris, but it's not like one specific spot. And, you know, it's more like a general region, like it's this whole region. And the thing about it is like, yes, you can stimulate the clitoris through your vagina, but you're having to go through all of this tissue and muscle as opposed to being able to touch it directly, you know, Mm -hmm. at the end over here. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, the, the thing that I come back to is you just want to go with whatever's feeling best for your body. So it's going to be easiest for you to go with the area of the clitoris that you can touch directly. If you do feel good internally, that's great. But just in terms of like how to get like the most bang for your buck, that's so not the right thing for this, but <laughs> how to get the most bang for your buck. Like it's not, you don't really want to start with that internal penetration because there's just so much tissue and muscle that you have to work towards. It's, it's way harder to access. But yeah, that's my very long answer, but I love to geek out about that because it's so important. So the G spot is not really a spot. It's still the clitoris Mm -hmm. and it's not some magic button that you just like press once and you have an instant orgasm. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you answered that because I'm sure a lot of people here, I mean, I literally didn't know that until like last week. I mean, I didn't really think about it. Honestly, I'm not really too concerned um, as as long as I get a result, (laughs) you know? So I'm not really concerned what it's called, but I think that's going to blow a lot of people's minds. Um, And I do want you to speak to how you're saying before, like some people think they just can't orgasm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 
Yeah, a lot of times, like in these Cosmo types of articles, you'll see, you know, people saying like, oh, well, some women just aren't capable of orgasm. And oftentimes you'll even see this number of like 10% of women will never be able to orgasm. And so that freaks a lot of women out. Like every single woman who ever reaches out to me, like I have a whole orgasm course for women called Finishing School. And every woman who's even interested in that will, you know, usually send me an email saying like, I'm really convinced that I'm like one of these women that's never going to be able to orgasm. So the reality is that we just don't have a ton of research on female orgasm, period, which is a whole other podcast episode in and of itself. But this number that often gets cited, like it's really challenging to, to figure out female orgasm because in this research, a lot of what they're talking to is like women who've never even tried to orgasm. So there's, you know, there's so much myths and misinformation about orgasm. Um, there are also, you know, huge like cultural issues that would make women not feel comfortable, even like religious things around exploring their orgasm. So, yes, there are a lot of women out there who have never had an orgasm, but never having had one is not the same thing as being physically incapable of having one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have never successfully surfed but that doesn't mean I'm physically incapable of surfing. It just means like, I'm not that interested in it. I haven't like taken any classes. I haven't gotten up on a surfboard. I haven't even tried, but again, like it doesn't mean there's something wrong with my body. That means I will never be able to surf. So that's what that number is, is it's women who have never even tried. So we don't have any, there's no scientific research, no scientific evidence or proof or anything like that, that if a woman wants to orgasm if she makes an active effort to learn that she will never be able to get. So for the woman who is like convinced I'm the 10% uh-huh. and she's like, I've tried, I've tried. It's not working. You know, I'm going for my clitoris. Is there something that you often tell people like, try this that helps to move the needle? Like, what would you say to that woman? Yeah. So definitely you need to spend a lot of time exploring masturbation. So of course, like all of us, we want to have like fast fixes, you know, like we want to just be able to masturbate once or like do it for five minutes and just have an orgasm. I totally get that. I struggled with my own orgasm for a really long time too. And I know like I wanted to have a fast answer. So I I completely empathize with that, but we really do have to give ourselves like the time and practice and patience to learn. Again, it's like, it's like, you know, learning how to speak Spanish. Like we're not going to sit down for five minutes and look at a few words and expect like, why am I not fluent yet? <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So we've got to give ourselves that time. Um, so it's, you know, allowing yourself to practice over a series of weeks, maybe even months. It's also within specific practice sessions, giving yourself like 30, maybe even 60 minutes. Like it takes a good chunk of time. It'll, the time will shorten up once you're learning, like, so don't get freaked out, but like give yourself a good amount of time. If you feel like you've really gone all in and, you know, done all of that work, then it's possible that there's some sort of mental blockage that's coming up for you, whether, you know, there's, so there's a lot of stuff that could come into play. It might be that you have a history with sexual abuse. It might be that you have um, a lot of disconnection from your own body. It might be there's a lot of anxiety, you know, anxious thoughts going through your head. So that would be the point where I would get into exploring like other mental and psychological causes. But for seriously, the overwhelming majority of women, it's just giving yourself that practice time. Yeah. I think a lot of women don't realize, like, especially the point of within your single session, giving yourself the space, because I think I know a lot of my clients, they're like, they'll spend like five minutes and I'm like, you got to keep going. And I also am curious if you come across this too, because 
you know, I'm just speaking from like my conversations. I'm not a sex therapist. It just comes up in a lot of my client sessions, (laughs) but a lot of women that I work with, they think that they've orgasmed and they haven't like, they think it's, Mm. it's before. So do you ever come across women who like, they think they did, but they didn't? There's often a, yeah, a lot of confusion. Typically the women that I work with, it's more that they actually did have an orgasm, but they're discounting that as an mm. orgasm. Um, but I've worked, oh. I've had, <laughs> well, initially when you're first learning how to orgasm for most women, your first orgasms are going to feel pretty small. Mm. So a lot of women are expecting this, like, you know, fireworks go off and like time stands still and the earth shatters apart. Um, but in reality, <laughs> like right at the beginning, <laughs> like my first few orgasms, it was kind of like, huh, okay. Yeah. Like that's, that's the thing that people get so worked up about. And I've actually had a ton of women in finishing school who will reach out to me when they've had their first orgasms and they're like, seriously, like, I, I signed up for this course. I've done all this work. And like, this is, this is it. This is what people get so worked up about. And so I always have to tell women, like, you got to, it's like, there's sort of two steps to the process. It's learning how to have orgasms and then it's learning how to make them more powerful. So a lot of women, yeah, because the expectations are so high, they'll discount an actual Mm -hmm. orgasm. But yeah, going back to your question, I definitely have worked with women as well who, yeah, feel like they have, but in actuality, a lot of times what's happening for them is like, they're kind of selling themselves short. Like it's like a, oh, that's enough for me kind of thing. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like an issue with allowing ourselves to receive. Like we have this, some women have this kind of like maximum level that they'll allow themselves to receive. And I'm sure you see that come up with like energetically, lots of different things, not just around pleasure too, mm-hmm. but yeah, this kind of like discounting of our worth and this like, yeah, yeah that, that was enough for me. That's, that's fine. We can move on now. <laughs> totally. And I think also feeling pressure, like a lot of women just feel pressure to oh, yeah. for it to happen faster if they're with a partner Oh yeah, and feeling that. And it's like, okay, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> Yeah. It's really interesting. Like I I'll talk to women about this a lot and they'll say, you know, yeah, I'm with my partner and you know, we're doing everything, but I just can't get there. And I'll ask her like, okay, so how long do you think you give yourself before you tell your partner to stop? And it's always this really interesting moment where the woman will sort of be get quiet for a moment. And she's like, I don't know, like maybe one to two minutes. I'm like, really? So like one to two minutes, like that's, that's the maximum that you'll allow yourself to receive. And, um, and it's also interesting too, because I think we're notoriously bad at, um, identifying how much time has passed. Like if you asked me, you know, don't look at a clock and tell me when a minute has passed. I think I'd probably tell you after about 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, I think it's, it's a big challenge that comes up for so many of us is allowing ourselves to receive more and realizing like, it's okay to let yourself go for longer than one to two minutes. Like you're, you deserve more than that. And the reality is that our partners want to give more to us than that too. Mm-hmm. So it's not that we're just like asking for all these, you know, selfish things. <laughs> like it's allowing yourself to receive a gift that your partner wants to give to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and then I think there's also the pressure for many people feel this of like wanting to orgasm at the same time as the partner. And then oh, yeah. <laughs> the, you know, the woman will feel like, 
oh, I got to like speed. I just got to time it and half yep. the time they're faking, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, cause that's the only way we ever see sex like on TV and in the movies, right? Is the characters always orgasm at the exact same second. They both kind of like flop back on the bed. I'm like, oh, that was so great. <laughs> so that's what our expectation is, is that it's supposed to happen that way every single time. But the reality is when you're aiming for those simultaneous orgasms, like there's always one partner who's like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. I got to go faster. I got to go faster. And then the other partner's like, slow down, slow down. Don't come for the love of God. Don't come. Like think about Aunt Bertha. You know? <laughs> um, and so it's just both partners end up being in their heads, you know, feeling anxious, feeling like something's wrong with them, trying to like not be where they are in that moment. So I think the reality of aiming for a simultaneous orgasm is just, it doesn't end up being very fun for either partner. And it definitely creates a lot of disconnection. Yeah. I mean, do you have any tips for people who really like that's their goal, like how to make it happen? <laughs> so I would explore first getting more comfortable with having orgasms at separate times, mm -hmm. because the more comfortable you are having orgasms with your partner, period, the easier it will be to have some simultaneous orgasms. So it's like first just start with getting more comfortable having orgasms with your partner and let them come at different times. And so this is also a fun way to sort of shake things up. Like I think a lot of us, especially in long-term relationships, we sort of get into this routine of what sex looks like. And for most people, it's really boring. Like it's like, oh, we make out for like 30 seconds. And then he like grabs my boob a little bit and then like, you know, <laughs> fingers me for like 20 seconds. And then we're on to the intercourse. You know, so most people can kind of like recite the steps of it and they're so bored, <laughs> but we don't do anything to like change that up. So this is a great opportunity to kind of play around with that standard little script that you guys might have where it's, you know, maybe you make out for longer and then one partner orgasms and then you make out again and then you have intercourse and then you take a break and you do oral sex on the other partner. It's like you can really mix things up and have it still be a very like sexy and enjoyable and kind of feel very exciting to do it in that way too. Mm -hmm. Um, then yeah, once you get more comfortable, like having orgasms in general, you may find it easier to have them, you know, kind of get the timing lined up. So with that, it's really going to be about helping the partner who tends to go quicker, help helping, helping them draw it out a little bit longer. So it's usually going to be like taking breaks from things, focusing on the partner who takes longer, um, so that that way it kind of helps the timing get more in line. I think one of the hardest non-toxic skincare products to find that actually works and doesn't clog your pores is moisturizer. And I am so pumped because Clear Stem Skincare finally released their Hydroglow Moisturizer. We already know how much I love Clear Stem's products. All of their products are totally non-toxic and they are specifically designed to be anti-acne and anti-aging. And I have been so pumped for their Hydroglow Moisturizer to come out because I know this is such a difficult product for people to to find a good option for. This moisturizer is insane. It trains your skin to look younger while you sleep. It has Bakuchiol in it, which is a natural alternative to retinol, which really helps to reduce any fine lines, wrinkles, and to restore the tightness back into your skin. It also has stem cells in it, which have so many antioxidant properties that are going to nourish your skin cells and promote cell turnover. This moisturizer helps to balance oil production, reduce inflammation, and it pretty much instantly gives you that glowy look, but not the oily look because I feel like so many products market themselves as giving you a glow and it just makes you look oily. Not a good look. And I have oily skin, so I am super picky about moisturizers and I'm obsessed with this. Most moisturizers 
clog your pores. A lot of them have pore clogging ingredients. But of course, not clear stem because this is what they specialize in, making sure that none of their products have any pore cluggers. So I wanted to give a shout out to the Hydroglow Moisturizer because it is insane and I get asked about moisturizers so, so often. So you're getting the anti-aging, anti-acne, cell regenerating and moisturizing effects all in one. And one jar will last you a long time. And of course, for best effects, use it with the rest of their line. Their Cell Renew Serum, which is amazing for helping to fade acne scars and brown spots, along with the collagen stem cells in it that help to promote cell turnover, give you that glow, the reishi to hydrate and detox the skin, and a ton of hydration. And their Clarity Serum. This stuff is amazing. This is an acid serum that helps to really powerfully promote cell turnover. Great for anti-aging, great for eliminating any acne scars, acne itself, intensely brighten the skin and reduce fine lines and wrinkles. Having an acid in your skincare routine is a must and it has vitamin C in it. So you're literally getting everything in one. So if you want to get your hands on any of these products, I use the full line. All of the products are truly incredible. Head to clearstemskincare.com. And if you want $15 off your purchase, you can use my code Christina, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A. Again, that's clearstemskincare.com and use that code Christina for $15 off. If you are interested in getting rid of your acne, your acne scarring, making your skin glow, having all of the anti-aging benefits, then this will change your life. I'm super excited for you to try it out. I think that also runs into the topic of, is it easier for you to orgasm with penetration or Mm -hmm. through, you know, stimulation of the clitoris? And I think, you know, is it true that some women can't come through penetration or like what, what's the science of this? Yes. Yeah. So the vast majority of women cannot orgasm from penetration alone, only about like 15 to maybe 20% of women can. And so, you know how I like science geeked out on you a few minutes ago and I was talking about the, the different, you know, structures. Mm-hmm. Um, so the biological equivalent of the vagina for a woman is what is called the prostatic utricle in a man. So it's a tiny little duct in the prostate. So from a nerve ending standpoint, like those two structures are the same thing, basically. So it's really interesting to me that you'll have all the like Cosmo articles all about like, you know, how to have the G-spot orgasm and like orgasm from penetration. But like, where are the Maxim articles that are like, how to have your prostatic utricle orgasm tonight? (laughs) You know, like we don't make men feel guilty about not being able to orgasm from this part of their body. So the reality is that the vagina, you know, I I also told you like the clitoris has eight to 9,000 nerve endings. The vagina has so few nerve endings. There isn't even a proper scientific tally. Like I look every few months to see if I can find like, is there any new research? How many nerves are in the vagina? And I can't find like anything great. So we can kind of say like from a, a purely nerve ending standpoint, expecting a woman to have an orgasm from penetration is like expecting a man to have an orgasm from having his testicles pulled or his knee rubbed. So it's like, sure, if you like having your testicles pulled or you like having your knee rubbed, that's great. Like we should all explore pleasure all over our bodies. But like, would we expect a man, would we be like rubbing away at his knee and expecting him to like, why is this not working for you? Of course not. So it's, it's the same thing for women. Like, why are we putting all this pressure on women to orgasm from a part of our body that doesn't have a lot of nerve endings that isn't designed to feel pleasure? Um, you know, but we don't do that same thing to men. Mm. So 
that's yeah. I get all, all fired up about that for sure. I love it. Women are going to send this to their partners. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, to this. Listen to this. I'm curious do you ever work with couples? Cause I know you work with individuals and couples when you, when you're working with a couple, do you ever find that the problem is the partnership? Yeah. I mean, so sometimes, yeah, I, I do love working with partners. And I think the reality is, you know, a lot of women, we get really self-conscious about not being able to orgasm. We feel like something's wrong with us or, you know, we're so difficult. And the reality is that when I talk to partners, like, 99% of the time, the partner is like, wants to be more participatory and like wants to do whatever they can to please their female partner. So it, it does come back to that same theme around allowing ourselves to receive, like recognizing that, I mean, unless your partner is a real jerk, which in that case, like, why are you with them anyways? <laughs> like, unless they're a real jerk, like mm -hmm. they want you to experience pleasure. They want to know, you know, what they can do to help you out. Like we all want to feel like we're good in bed, right? Like, unless you're truly selfish and you just don't care at all about mm -hmm. the other person, like you want to know. So it's, yeah, allowing ourselves to receive that gift that our partner is trying to give. Um, so that's a big piece of it. I mean, a lot of times people we'll get really freaked out thinking like, oh, if I can't orgasm with my partner, it means that we're not a good fit for each other. Like the chemistry is not right. I've um, had tons of people who, you know, broke up, like ended relationships because they thought like, oh, we're just not a good fit for each other. When the reality is like, just as we women have been so misinformed about our own orgasms, so have our partners. Mm -hmm. So a lot of our partners have the same, you know, unrealistic expectations and they're genuinely trying their best with the information that they have, but they don't have good information. Yeah. Yeah. I think like when I think about, as I'm thinking while you're talking, I'm, I always feel like, like sex lives can be improved and you like get to know each other and it gets better. And then you try new things. Yeah. But also I think there's, I do think there's also an element of like some people, it's just not as good as, as other yeah. people, you know, like there is, I, I feel like there's both elements. Like some people are just mm -hmm. not as exciting. Yeah. I think we, we tend to, people go to like one extreme or another, like either some, there are some people who will say, you know, Oh, the very first time we kissed, it was no good. So like, I ended it right then and there. Yeah. And it's like, Whoa, you know, like chemistry does take a while to develop. Yeah. And I think it's, it can actually be a really beautiful process to like explore your chemistry and your connection with someone over a period of time. Um, but then at the, uh, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, like I have worked with clients who have been with their partners for decades and never enjoyed any sort of physical contact. So it's really hard for us to like find this middle ground where we recognize like, yeah, you know, sex is important. I want to feel connected to my partner. And I totally agree with you that we have there's just different levels of potential that we have with each partner. And there definitely are people that just like you can't, you know, pick some random person off the street and have an amazing relationship with them. You can't, you know, pick some random partner off the street and necessarily have an amazing sex life. We have different potential with different people, but we've got to find that that middle ground of not cutting someone off so quickly, like not even giving a chance for that chemistry to develop, but also recognizing like there needs to be enough potential there for us to continue. We don't need yeah. to you know, kind of banish ourselves like a lifetime of bad sex because we're afraid to say like, sex life is important. I want to have good sex. Yeah, no, totally. I, and I think some people feel like it's going to be the same with every person. And it's like, you have to figure each other out together mm -hmm. um, and give it that time. But something I also wanted to ask you about was like talking about how orgasming is a skill. 
I know I, I have some clients who have experienced never having problems with orgasming, like it's fine. And then it just like, they're like, it just turns off. Like, I just can't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. So when you come across that, what are the different things that, that could potentially be causing that? Like, give me more around that. Yeah, no, that's a really, really good question. Yeah. So it, you know, definitely usually there's something going on, you know, in that person's life that's creating that shift. So it might be that there's something going on in the relationship. Maybe they are not getting along as well anymore. They're not feeling connected to that partner anymore. Maybe there's been some sort of breach of trust. Sometimes it's even an intuitive thing. Like we might not rationally know you know, oh, something's going wrong with my relationship or I'm not feeling comfortable in this relationship anymore, but our body knows. Mm. Um, and this happens for men as well. I've worked with a lot of men who experience performance issues um, and they're like, I don't understand what's going on. I don't get it. Um, and it's like, well, there's, you know, there's some dynamics that are coming up. So most often what I find is that it's some sort of relationship dynamic that's going on. Um, it can occasionally be caused by like some sort of health issue, um, like a hormonal issue, um, yeah, issues with like your period, even like pain, sexual pain issues. So other stuff can develop, but it tends to be more often like a relationship. thing. Mm, okay. That makes sense. And also that's interesting. I didn't think about it from the guy's perspective. Cause I was going to ask you about that. I feel like it's an epidemic of men, like not being able to get hard and like younger and younger, you oh, know, yeah. I mean, I'm 25 and I'm like, <laughs> Why are 21 year olds, you know, like, like as, as I've gotten older, why is this a problem? And I think for me, I think of it like understanding the different health issues that are really prevalent, but I'm curious for you, like, what do you see causing issues for men? Cause I think it's gotten pretty bad. <laughs> I got a one word answer for you. Porn. I was going to ask about that. I really want you to talk about yeah. that. So I want to be, yeah, let me be super clear first. Like I'm not anti-porn. Um, I do think I love ethical porn, which is kind of like a subgenre of porn that's really focusing on creating porn in a better way that showcases more diversity, that really treats the actors with fairness and respect, um, even like shows more realistic sex. So mm -hmm. I think that, you know, porn isn't just inherently bad. We need to be making better porn, but I think there is, you know, we can't have healthy relationships with it, but I think, you know, most men, especially men who are, you know, in their thirties and younger, um, have grown up being exposed to a whole lot of porn. And, you know, when you are, you know, when you're a guy and you're watching porn and you're masturbating, you're paying attention to what's going on on the screen in front of you. That's where all of your energy and attention is, is focused on. You're disconnected from your own body. So it, yeah, it creates this disconnection between a man and his own body. It also creates an association between, you know, in order to get turned on and experience pleasure, I need to have this extra stimulation. And so this is really important for people of all genders to think about the way that we masturbate affects how we show up with a partner. So if there is something that you always do on your own, whether it's always watching porn, always using the same technique, always using the same fantasy, you just start to create neural pathways in your brain, connections that your brain makes thinking like, oh, these things go together. And it makes it harder for you to experience pleasure without those things. It doesn't mean that you've broken yourself, that you're never going to be able to fix it. It just means your, your brain becomes really accustomed to, ah, these two things go together. So that's definitely what happens with porn. So a lot of men, you know, then they get with partners and it's like, oh, but I, I don't have this usual hyper stimulation that porn gives me with like all the different angles and shots and like, you know, all this kind of stuff. 
Um, so it, it gets a lot harder to reach orgasm and then they're disconnected from their own bodies and they don't have this sense of like, what is it that works for them and what do they like and what do they need? So it, yeah, it definitely is creating a lot of issues and that's why you're seeing it with men younger and younger because yeah, the you know guys that are growing up right now, I mean, there's porn everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting because I feel like more and more men are speaking up about as people, I just feel like people in general are speaking up about different issues they've had because they're realizing, oh, I'm not the only one, but mm-hmm. I see more and more men also talking about just being addicted to porn and like yeah. that too. But I, yeah. And I think if, if someone's listening, who has had this issue where they feel like, oh my gosh, I watched a lot of porn and now I have performance issues. Do you have any advice to that person? Yeah. And it's also, we, we should note too, like there are also a lot of women who feel like they've gotten oh, addicted to yeah. porn too. So I, I would say start with tapering off your usage on your own and see what that's like for you. So can you go down to, you know, let's say you usually watch porn every single time you masturbate. Can you watch it every other time you masturbate? Um, and then maybe down even more from that. Um, so, you know, see what comes up for you. So for a lot of people, you'll go through this transition phase where at first it's masturbation is not going to feel fun or pleasurable. It's going to almost be like, wait, what? I don't, I don't even know what I'm doing with myself. Like you kind of have to like relearn how to do it, but that's really important for you to relearn how to do it. So give yourself a little transition time. Um, there definitely are going to be some people who try that and realize like, I've got a pretty serious issue with it. Like I I'm trying, I'm giving myself a lot of time and practice and I just like, you know, a lot of stuff is coming up for me. So if that's the case, I would definitely recommend reaching out to a sex therapist. You can also look for like a sex addiction or a porn addiction specialist if you want to as well. But first step is just trying to taper down on your own and see what comes up for you. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I think that's going to be something a lot of people will say. Yeah. (laughs) And another, another really important point too, is that especially with men, you know, men are socialized to believe that they're not supposed to, you know, experience or talk about their emotions. So I work with a lot of men who turn to porn to self-soothe. So it's not even about like masturbating and experiencing pleasure and having an orgasm. Like sometimes it just becomes their only coping mechanism. Like I've had a bad day. I got to come home and fire up the porn and start masturbating. I just had a fight with my girlfriend. I got to like, you know, turn to this. So that's another important thing to look out for is, you know, are you turning to porn to soothe yourself, to like deal with other emotions or experiences that are coming up for you? And it's a good boundary to set with yourself. Like you can allow yourself to continue watching porn, but maybe check out ethical porn and make sure that you like check in with yourself before you watch it. Like, am I in a good headspace for this right now? Or is there maybe something else coming up that I should address first? Yeah, I think it's really good advice. And I think I was actually curious, do you find that one one sex has more issues with libido than another or is it pretty split? It's very split. And this is a great topic too because I think you know we have these stereotypes that like men want sex you know, wherever, whenever, whatever. And then we have all these stereotypes as women are, you know, we're cold and we're frigid and we always have a headache and we're on our period (laughs) and stuff like that. Um, But the reality is that it's, it's pretty evenly split, but we never talk about heterosexual relationships where the woman is the partner who has a higher sex drive than her male partner. And so it's that same sort of dynamic that comes up. I have so many women who reach out to me who tell me like, I'm a freak of nature. Like something is horribly wrong with me. Um, you know, why do I have a higher sex drive than my partner? It's like this source of really deep shame and embarrassment. And I have been in that position I wouldn't myself complain. as well. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I totally can relate to this too. 
Um, so there's just, yeah, millions of women out there who feel really embarrassed and ashamed for having a higher sex drive than their partner. So I really like to be super clear about it's a very even split about, you know, who's dealing with the libido issues. And I'm seeing increasingly that there are more issues with men having low libido. So I think it's just super important for us to acknowledge that. Yeah, I think that's why I wanted to bring it up, because I think a lot of people, like you said, we assume that it's one way. And I think people don't realize that both people can can have the issues. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And I wanted to ask about porn. And I also wanted to ask about threesomes. And if you feel like this helps people with their sex life or makes issues worse. You got all the good questions today. (laughs) So it really depends on what your motivations are for the threesome. Um, so they definitely can be an awful lot of fun. Um, it definitely can bring some like spice and excitement back into your sex life. Um, but it's really important to not try to use a threesome to like save your sex life. So it should be, if your sex life is already in a great place, if you've already communicated about it a lot, you're both on board, you're both excited about it. Um, then that can be great. But in terms of like trying to like save your sex life via a threesome, it's never, ever going to work out. Um, and you'd be surprised by how many couples try to save their relationships by doing something, you know, kinky mm-hmm. or different or bringing another person in. And it's just, it's just, it's complicated. It's really complicated to bring a third person into your bedroom or into your relationship. And so you need to be in a good enough place that you can weather those complications and, and also like make sure you're being good to that third person too. Yeah. So yeah, make sure your relationship's on a solid footing before doing that. <laughs> Do you see that a lot in your practice? Like, does oh, it yeah. Help? yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> All in, the the context, in the context of they're wondering if they should or they already did in it, like fuck some shit up. Like what, what's the context? Oh yeah. I've, I've seen a lot of the latter situation. <laughs> okay. Like we thought this was going to be this fun thing, or I, you know, was going to surprise her for her birthday with this, or, you know, yeah, we thought it'd bring the, the spice back into our sex life. And it's, it's complicated. You know, it's, yeah. it's, I think, you know, threesome fantasies are one of the most popular fantasies. Most of us have thought about it at least once and, you know, been turned on by it. But the reality of actually seeing the person that you love kissing another person, being touched by another person, being penetrated by or penetrating Mm -hmm. another person, like it's intense. Mm -hmm. And so I always advise couples, if you're interested in it, to go really slowly, like break it down into little baby steps. And even like one of the most fun things that you can do is just talk dirty about a threesome. And you can even kind of pretend like, oh, well, what would you do if another woman was here right now? And kind of like talk through what you guys would do to each other. So that's a great way to make it feel really exciting and feel kind of naughty, but also not be just like diving, you know, head first into the threesome pool. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you decide you want to have a, a real life person there with you, like maybe you just have a date first, or maybe you have, you know, like a cuddling and making out session next. You don't need to go from like zero to 60 because that can yeah. be much, much harder to deal with. In the moment. That's no, that's good advice. Cause I'm sure that will bring up the, like, you got to test out how am I going to feel right. Yeah. <laughs> People yeah. don't think about that. So test it out or like watch your partner make out mm-hmm. with someone else. And then that'll give you a good sense of like, Ooh, I get really turned on by that. I like that. Let's go further next yeah. time. <laughs> Or maybe you get a sense of like, ooh, I thought this was going to be really hot, but I am not okay with this right now. Yeah. Well, and I think 
I feel like everybody's like, how do I improve my sex life? What everybody has a different idea of what is normal. And, you know, some people they're like, I want to have sex twice a day. That's normal. Other people are like, oh yeah, once every three weeks, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, how do you, what do you consider to be normal for people? In terms of frequency? Yeah. Yeah. There really is no magic number. Everyone wants to know like, what's, what's the average at least. And there really isn't. I mean, I genuinely, I've worked with couples who have had sex, you know, a couple of times a year and they're happy with that. Like they feel connected. It feels like these are these special, you know, dates that they have with each other and that works for them. And I've worked with couples. I've had multiple couples I've worked with who have had sex like multiple times a day and still felt like we've, we're disconnected. It's not enough, you know? So there's just no magic number that works um, for everyone. And what we want at different periods in our relationship really changes too. So a lot of people think of sex drive as like this kind of fixed number, like, oh, I always want sex twice a week, or I always want it three times a week, you know, whatever it is. But um, the reality is it really shifts. So there might be certain periods of your life or your relationship where you want to have sex with each other every day. And then there may be certain periods where maybe some other shit's going on in your life. And you're like, I can't even, you know, once a week sounds like a lot to me. So we need to be like really flexible. But in general, what I say to couples is to try to make the effort to have sex more often than you feel the desire. Because a lot of us wait around to like feel this magic, spontaneous desire, this like wild, passionate lust. And that can be present at the beginning of a relationship, but it fades as we get on in relationships. And so it's really important to me to emphasize that having a great sex life requires active and ongoing effort. So we can't just sit around waiting to feel the desire, waiting to feel all this passion. We want to make an effort to connect with our partner more often than you actually feel that desire. Mm, Yeah. Well, and I also wanted, I don't know if this is in relationship coaching realm. I don't know how much that overlaps with like the sex therapy, but I was curious if you had an opinion around like, because sex changes relationships, you know, and in terms of dating people who are dating, like how to gauge when, when to do it. Ooh, yeah, that's a, it's a really good question too. So a lot of this comes down to being able to know yourself, um, and how you tend to react when you mm-hmm. start being intimate with someone. So a lot of people, again, we have these like rules and these numbers in our head. You know, I, I always hear from people, the three date rule <laughs> and, and a lot of people will follow that. And so there are some people who are like, Oh, waiting three dates. That's crazy. Like I want to be with that person, like the first night, the first opportunity that I get. And then I've worked with people who say, you know, yeah, I had sex on the third date and it was awful. Like I, it felt really rushed. I was, you know, it just felt way too fast. So I would first kind of take a look at your history and see like, when have you had sex with people in the past and how has that felt for you? So you can get, start to get like a little bit better of a sense of, oh yeah, you know, I am someone who tends to need a little bit longer um, to, you know, get to know someone and to feel comfortable. Um, Another thing that you can do is try to get a sense of like what your needs are before being intimate with somebody. So there are certain people who are like, yeah, just want to make sure they're not a serial killer and then I'm good to go. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) And then there are going to be, you know, there are going to be other people who are going to say, I want to feel in love with this person or I want to be engaged to that person. Mm -hmm. Um, So trying to get a sense of like your values around that, like what do you want to feel? What kind of connection do you want to experience? What do you need to see from your partner? So it might be basic things like, yeah, I just want to spend a little bit of time with them, know that they're like a 
a polite and respectful partner. Maybe I want to like talk about sex and make sure that they're comfortable talking about it before we do it. So you can try to like identify the values behind it. That can be a great way to help you too. And then one final thing that I can say is in general, I think it can be great to just give yourself a little extra time. So I always hear people saying, I wish I had waited a little bit longer. And I very rarely hear people say, I wish I had done it sooner. Mm. So maybe just give yourself a little bit of extra time to feel in. Yeah, that's that's a good point. (laughs) I I also think it's so interesting how culturally I think about different TV shows. It's like people have this weird fascination. Like it's a weird fascination with people who wait, you know, like people Mm -hmm. who get married before they have sex. Like it's like we make TV shows about this, (laughs) you know, Um, which is interesting. but. I also just wanted you, cause I know, like I was seeing how you're talking about different, um, sex personality types mm-hmm. and I know there's how many, 10, seven, something? 11, 11. Yeah. Okay. So obviously we won't go into all of them, but I would love for you to share more about like, just like a couple of them. Cause I think yeah. this is really interesting and, and why is this helpful for people? Yeah. So the sex personality types is a model that I developed a couple of years back and I got the idea for it actually during a session with a couple where this particular couple, it was a man and a woman and the woman would basically like have sex with her partner, like as a favor to him. So she would never turn him down. Like whenever he wanted it, she was like, okay, you know, it's fine. Mm -hmm. And so the guy was complaining that, you know, he wasn't feeling very connected to her. He wasn't feeling very satisfied with her sex life. And she was saying, you know, how can you complain? Like you get it whenever you want. And so I think that's what most people tend to focus on the frequency of sex. And I was really thinking to myself, like, they're talking about two totally different things. Like they're not just talking about how often does my penis go into your vagina? (laughs) Like, you know, for, for him, it was a totally different experience than he was, that he was looking for from what she was talking about. And so I started thinking more about like, what is it that we are each wanting to experience during sex? And what is it that makes sex feel great for us? Like feel satisfying. And so I started developing this personality types model and kind of went through with like all the new couples that I worked with and went through old um, session notes and stuff like that and tried to get a sense of what is it that people talk about, about like the most important thing for them around sex. So that's where the personality types came from. Um, And we have a a free quiz that people can take. We can, I can maybe send you the link to put in the show notes or something, but you can take a little quiz and figure out which type you are and then which type your partner is. And we talk a lot about how the types kind of interact with each other. Um, But some of the types are, so one of them is the explorer. So for the explorer, the most important aspect of sex is that sense of exploration and adventure. So they really love being able to try new things in the bedroom. And it isn't necessarily that, you you know, everything needs to be perfect and sexy. It's just, just the fact that you've tried something, even if it's like, yeah, we tried this sex position and it didn't really work out. It wasn't our favorite, but there's still for the explorer, that sense of like, Ooh, that was fun that we explored that. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that's a big thing for them. Another type that comes up is the prioritizer, um, for the prioritizer. They really want to know that sex is something that's important to the relationship and to their partner. And so realizing that they're carving out that time and that space for each other, they're prioritizing it over other things in their lives because, you know, let's face it, we're all super busy. We all have a million other things that we could be doing other than having sex. So yeah, really being able to feel that effort from their partner is an important thing. What's the most common one? 
They are, they're uh, are all, you know, pretty common. I've, I tried to work it out that I wanted them to be like really well represented. The Explorer is definitely a really common one. And then another really common one, the most common one that I typically see for men is what I call the giver. Mm. And for the giver, like the name implies, a lot of these names are pretty obvious, <laughs> but um, easy for to them, like sex is all about giving to their partner. And that can even be a bigger experience for them than receiving. Mm. So again, like it's kind of what we were talking about earlier, like that we have a lot of stereotypes about men as being like selfish in the bedroom and they don't really care about, you know, female pleasure, like in heterosexual relationships. Um, But the reality that I've found is that most men are givers to some degree and genuinely care about their partner's experience. So they don't want to just have like, oh, let me throw you a bone, pity sex kind of thing. Um, they, you know, want to be able to pleasure their partner and know that they're doing a good job and have their partner receive that. Mm -hmm. So this even comes up a lot around oral sex. A lot of men really want to give oral sex to women and a lot of women have a hard time receiving it. Um, so yeah, that tends to be the most common one that I see amongst men. I don't think we give men enough credit. (laughs) Is there one call? Is there one that's like the receiver? Like do some people (laughs) just only want to receive? I, I, there is not one called receiver. I definitely have worked with people who could be classified as receivers, but it's not super common. So I didn't create a specific type just for that. (laughs) Are there any two that you feel like don't mesh well together is the point that like any, any of them can mesh well. So yeah, there are some that don't really mesh super well together. I don't think I wouldn't go so far as to say, you know, if you're this type and your partner's that type, it's never going to work out, but there are going to be more challenges. So a good example of that is there are two types, one that's called the guardian or for the guardian, it's really important for there to be a foundation of like safety and security in the relationship in order for them to be able to, you know, experience pleasure and connection with a partner. So I often see a lot of guardians are people who have experienced sexual abuse in the past, and they really need to know that sex can feel, you know, safe again, because they've had this horrible experience of it not being safe. And then there's another type called the thrill seeker, which is really about it's they're kind of similar to the explorer in that they like exploring new things, but the thrill seeker is more about that sense of taboo or the forbidden kind of pushing boundaries, doing things that might go above and beyond, um, you know, what a lot of people might consider quote unquote normal. I hate using that word, but <laughs> um So those can be challenging because the guardian is really wanting to like hold their own boundaries and have the sense of safety and security. Well, as the thrill seeker is all about having it feel kind of dangerous and taboo and on the edge. So those two types are going to be a challenge with each other. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Everyone's going to want to take the quiz. So we'll put a a link to it. Um, I'm curious, like what's... mm, you probably won't want to answer this. I was like, what's the weirdest question you've been asked? Like, <laughs> like you must get asked so many interesting questions. And I imagine also in a social situation, like when people find out what you do, do they just, oh, yeah. I don't know. I feel like some people will just ask you a bunch of questions and some people will get embarrassed. No, pretty much everyone wants to ask me questions. As soon as they know, they'll find like some way to like work me into the corner or something like, can I ask you something? Or I'll get a little text message a few days later, you know? Um, So, I mean, you know, I am just endlessly fascinated by human sexuality and endlessly fascinated with how diverse and unique we all are. Mm -hmm. And so for me, like, yeah, I definitely get asked a lot of questions that like, again, the like, quote unquote, normal, most people wouldn't think about it in that realm. But, you know, to me, like, I I honestly don't feel any sort of 
judgment around that. Like for me, my boundary is as long as it's taking place between adults who are enthusiastically consenting to everything that's going on, anything goes. Mm -hmm. So I just get, yeah, very fascinated hearing all these questions. And I think it's cool thinking about like, gosh, we are all able to experience pleasure in such different ways. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess I think of it as not like weird as in it's weird of like, oh, I haven't gotten that one before. You know what I mean? Because I feel like a lot of people probably ask you the same things like, Mm -hmm. oh, I can't orgasm. Well, how do I spice it up? You know, like Mm -hmm. more of like anything where like, whoa, I haven't heard that one before. Yeah. It's actually more rare than you would think. Um, a lot of like a lot of people think, especially when it comes to fantasies, a lot of people think like, oh, I have this really weird fantasy that you know, no one else has it. And no, like, no. I'll have very similar fantasies. Yeah. So I think like maybe some of the most uncommon things that I hear about are like people who are into like piss play or, you know, scat play, that kind of uh not scat play, uh, you know, like feces and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But um so, you know, those are un- like less common, but it's, uh, you know, again, like no judgment from me as long as everybody's on board and excited about it. Like, yeah, whatever you want in the bedroom. <laughs> someone, I don't know who it was, it was listening to someone. They're like, look, we're all weirdos. Just no one's talking about it. So that's very true. <laughs> there we go. Um, I, before we wrap up, I do have one question because I don't want to let this go. When you were talking about, you were like the skill of orgasming first is like, to be able to do it and then learning to like power it up. So what are, can you leave us with some things we can do to have better orgasms, like to power them up? Yeah. (laughs) So honestly, a huge piece of it is just recognizing like I'm having orgasms. That's such a big mental blockage that comes up for women is there's so much fear of, you know, I'm broken. I am one of those women who never will be able to. So once you finally start realizing like, I'm capable of having orgasms. Like often they just get more powerful, like with practice. Um, But specific things that you can do to make them more powerful. One great thing is playing around with your breath. So some, you can play around with a lot of different things. Some people really like holding their breath and you have to be careful with this. Please don't like hold your breath and pass out and then blame me for it. So you want to be like just holding it for a few seconds at a time and then releasing or taking really slow and deep breaths and breathing your way through it. If you're normally someone who kind of holds your breath a bit, um, or you can take like faster, shallower breaths too. So really playing around with the breath can lead to very different kinds of experiences. You can also play around with the specific technique and like stimulation that you're using in the moment. So sometimes it's just going a little bit faster, using a little bit more pressure, um, maybe even like a more intense, um, kind of stimulation, you know, can work well as well. And then another thing that you can do is play around with creating more muscle tension in your body. So squeezing, you know, holding and squeezing onto your muscles, um, particularly the muscles in your quads, your butt and your abs can increase the intensity of orgasm. Or if you're someone who normally does that, focusing on relaxing the muscles. So it's kind of like whatever it, it, it is that gets you to orgasm reliably, try playing around with the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. And that can often increase the intensity. Yeah, I like that last one because I think a lot of people think that they have to be totally like relaxed for it mm-hmm. to happen. Yeah, <laughs> the muscle tension really, really helps a lot of women, even curling your toes sometimes too, that can help. Mm. And then another thing is also making more noise too. A lot of women get really self-conscious about 
the noises that they make. So they'll stay really quiet. Or sometimes women even say like, Oh, I feel like I have to make these like porn star moans. And you know, that's like not me, Yeah, (laughs) but it can be very powerful to just like allow yourself to make whatever sound it is Mm -hmm. that your body wants to make in that moment. So not about like playing this role or putting on a performance, but just like letting the sounds escape Mm -hmm. from your body. That can be really fun too. Yeah. And to your point, practice masturbating and let yourself make noises, you know, (laughs) like, there we go. Okay. Well, this was so helpful. People are going to love this and I'm sure everyone's going to want to take that quiz and learn more from you. So I'm, I'm so grateful you came on the podcast and I would love for you just to share with everyone. How can they connect further with you and learn more from you? Yeah, I would love to connect with anyone in your audience. So the best place to find me is on my website at vmtherapy.com. It's my initials, V-M-T-H-E-R-A-P-Y.com. And we have tons of free resources there. You can also sign up for our weekly email list. We do a different topic every month and we send out free emails with like suggestions for you to try tips and techniques and challenges and all sorts of fun stuff. It's really, really great. And then you can also find me on social. Um, Instagram is my favorite platform. So I'm at Vanessa Marin therapy over there. And I do like daily stories where I answer people's questions and do like fun polls and giveaways and stuff like that. So either one of those places would be great. Awesome. All right. Well, we will put all of that in the show notes. And again, thank you so much for coming on. This was so amazing. Thank you so much for having me. You had some great questions. So I hope that people really love this conversation. Huge thank you to Vanessa for coming on the podcast. I am sure you got a lot of value out of that. And if you want to connect with her further, head to her website, vmtherapy.com. And that's where you can find the answers to all of your sex-related questions and find out more about all of her coaching and programs. If you enjoyed this show, make sure you take a screenshot and share it on Instagram. It helps me so much to spread the word about the show. And if you think it'll help somebody else... I would just love it if you would share it. When you do that, just make sure you tag me so I can see that you shared it and I can say thank you. It means the world to me. I also just want to remind you that if you want access to my private Instagram page, the channel crew, all you have to do is leave a rating and review on iTunes and then take a screenshot, DM it to that private account, the channel crew, and request to follow. And when I get the DM of your screenshot of your rating and review, and the request to follow, I can accept and you'll get access to the page. You can also connect further with other podcast listeners in our free Facebook group, The Channel Crew. That's going to be it for today's show. Thank you again so much for tuning in. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day and I will chat with you again next episode. 